This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time, and, and especially are we delighted to have some who may be watching today for the very first time. We want you to continue to watch our telecast today. Today we're going to be discussing a question that often is asked in regard to the Bible. We've had people to write to us and they would ask this question in one form or another. And the question is, can Christians fall from grace? What does the Bible say? I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible course. And I want to emphasize to you the fact that it is absolutely free. You're not going to be asked for money, and we want you to have it. Thousands of people all over the world are studying this Bible course. We have Bible students in all 50 states in the United States and many, many foreign countries. We want you to join in with them in studying the Bible through the use of this Bible course. And would you let pause with me now for just a moment while you learn more about the course and learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5211. I want to read now from the sixth chapter of Hebrews, the first eight verses. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good of word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. In order for one to become a Christian, in order for one to be saved from his or her sins, they must become students of the Bible. 
The Bible in 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we must become students of the Bible. Because it is the Bible that is the source of our faith. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. It is the Bible that is the fountainhead of our faith. And that faith brings us to believe in Jesus Christ as as God's Son. No one can be saved from their sins without believing in Christ as God's Son. In John the 8th chapter and verse 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am He... Ye shall die in your sins. And so it's either believe in Jesus or we're going to be die with our sins held against us. Not only are we to believe in Jesus, we are to repent of our sins. In the third chapter in the thirteenth chapter of Luke's gospel and in the third verse, Luke wrote, I tell you nay, but accept you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So it is repent or perish. It's repent or be lost. Not only are we to repent of our sins, we ought to be willing to confess that we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In the 8th chapter of Acts, there was a man from Ethiopia who heard Philip the evangelist preach Christ to him, Acts 8, 35. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So this man acknowledged his faith in Christ. The only thing that that a gospel preacher or any other person has a right to ask anyone who wants to be baptized for the remission of their sins, they ask them this question, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The question is not, do you believe that God for Christ's sake has pardoned your sins, but do you believe Jesus Christ is God's Son? That's the question that Philip asked the man from Ethiopia. And then in order to be saved as a penitent confessing believer, we are to be baptized into Christ. And that puts us into Him and we put on Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 27. And then after we are baptized into Christ, we begin to live the Christian life. And a healthy Christian life It is one where spiritual growth is made and maintained. We start out as little babies, spiritually speaking. We start out in the milk of the Word. And then we eventually progress to the meat or to solid food. It is the duty of every individual who becomes a child of God or becomes a Christian to grow spiritually. 
Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now it's the case that not all do that. Back in the fifth chapter of Hebrews, the writer said in verse 12, When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. Obviously, these people had not made the spiritual progress that they ought to have made. And so as a result, they still were trying to survive off the milk of the Word. They had not grown as they should. There is a danger in failing to grow and failing to mature in Jesus Christ. In the verses that we read in the beginning from the 6th chapter of Hebrews, some of the dangers are pointed out to us. First of all, we notice in the first three verses that we have the duty of going on unto perfection. Listen to it. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That is, we are to grow. We are to grow in our knowledge of the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and 2, Peter said, As newborn babes desire the, the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So we are to grow in our knowledge of the Bible. One of the most thrilling aspects of my work as a gospel preacher is sitting down with people who have a thirst for the Bible. I've been studying with some individuals privately in, in recent days, and, and, and I wish that you could see how eager they are to learn the Word of God. I remarked to someone, they're like sponges. They're just soaking it up, soaking up the knowledge of the Bible. We are to grow and, and we are to add the qualities of Christian character. And to our faith, we are to add these qualities. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, Besides all this adding to your faith, virtue, and to your virtue, knowledge, and to your knowledge, patience, your patience, godliness, your godless, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, that they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're to grow. We ought to add to what we have learned in the elementary things. So it is true that we do need those elementary things or those first principles of the gospel. We need those. And he talks about some of those first principle things are some of those elementary things. For example, uh, the, the writer talks about repentance from dead works. Well, that's when we turn from works that produce spiritual death. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. But they turned away from those sins, and they repented of those sins. 
repentance from works that lead to spiritual death. Then he talked about faith toward God. That's one of those elementary things. First principles of the gospel. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of all of them that diligently seek Him. Third, uh, uh, mentioned, uh, third thing mentioned as being one of those elementary principles, or first principles, was the doctrine of baptisms. Now, baptism is a subject that is mentioned numerous times in the Bible. And, for example, there are different baptisms that are mentioned in the Bible. There's the baptism of Moses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where, the, where it is said they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When the children of Israel crossed the sea, after having left the land of Egypt, there were walls of water to either side of them. There was a cloud over their head that was composed of water. And thus it was a baptism, if you please, in the cloud and in the sea. But then there was also the baptism of John the Baptist. There was a baptism of fire mentioned in Matthew chapter 3. And I had someone to tell me one day, Brother Lambert, what this church needs where you're preaching is the baptism of fire. I said, no man, we don't need the baptism of fire. We may need to be on fire, but we don't need the baptism of fire. Because in Matthew the third chapter, the baptism of fire mentioned by there is hell fire. Verse 12 says, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge the floor and, and gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he burn up with unquenchable fire. So there's going to be a baptism of fire. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The other case of baptism of the Holy Spirit is in Acts the 10th chapter at the, at the household of Cornelius, and there was a purpose for that, and that was to convince the Jews that the Gentiles had a right to the gospel. So there are different baptisms mentioned in the Bible. There's a baptism of suffering. Jesus asked the disciples on one occasion, are, are you able to be baptized, the baptism that I'll be baptized with? And of course, he said, oh, yes, Lord, we are able. But he was talking about the baptism of suffering, that is, when he would be overwhelmed in suffering. But there's the baptism of the Great Commission mentioned in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said there is one baptism. And that one baptism is a baptism in water, burial in water, for the remission of an individual's sins, Acts 2.38. It is the baptism of great commission of the Great Commission mentioned in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. So there's the doctrine of baptisms. And also, what some of those other elementary things was the laying on of hands. In the early church, that is in the first century church, hands were laid on other individuals for various reasons. For example, according to Luke chapter 4 and 40, it was done by Christ and others that had gifts to heal the sick. It was done by Jesus to bestow special blessings upon others, as in Mark the 10th chapter and in verse 16. It was done by the apostles to impart the Holy Spirit 
in a miraculous measure to others. In Acts 8, Simon saw that it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given. And then it was often done by church leaders to appoint someone for, different, for a particular service. As in the 13th chapter of Acts, when the church laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them out on that first missionary journey. But there's the doctrine of laying on of hands. And then another of those first principles or the elementary things of the gospel was a resurrection of the dead. The apostle Peter preached the resurrection of the dead on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In verse 31 he said, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. And then another of those principles of the gospel, first principles, the elementary things was eternal judgment. And Paul, when he came to Athens in Acts chapter 17, he was at Mars Hill, talked about the judgment. He said, He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, Acts 17, 31. So we need those elementary things. We need an understanding of those things. But we also need to go on to other things. We need to go on to perfection. Once we've laid the foundation, we need to build on it. And by understanding the meteor things of the Word, we're more likely to remain steadfast in the faith. I want you to note the privileges of those that, that had obeyed the gospel. And, and in verses 4 through 8, we see the danger of people leaving the gospel and leaving Christ. First of all, he talks about those who were once enlightened. And no doubt this refers to the time that they, were, that they obeyed the gospel. They came out of darkness and they came into light, Colossians 1.13. And he said they tasted of the heavenly gift and they received the forgiveness of their sins, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. They became partakers of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, Paul said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, and, and, and that uh, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he said, Which you have of God, and you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. The Holy Spirit, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we obey the gospel, Acts 2.38 says we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some read that and assume that it must be something of a miraculous nature. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. But the Bible says in John chapter 10 that John did no miracle. It just doesn't have to be of a miraculous nature. I believe that God dwells in us as Christians. It's a matter of faith. Christ dwells in us as a matter of faith. So does the Holy Spirit. And all of this is in harmony with and in conjunction with the inspired Word of God, which was incidentally given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But then the writer says that here's some people who tasted the good Word, word of God and the powers of the world to come. That these are the things that the Word of God promises. But what happened to these people? They had fallen. Now, note, notice in verse number four. 
For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good of word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away. Apparently, people who have become enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good of word of God and the powers of the age of, uh, to come, it is apparent they can fall. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and verse number four. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Someone says, well, Brother Lambert, what does it mean here in verse 6? If they follow it, it is impossible for those people who were enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and the like, if they fall away, he says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Seeing they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it is apparent that we can fall. And person can fall so far that one would be beyond all human agency to reclaim. He's talking about a person here who has cast off their faith. They have taken Jesus Christ out of the equation. They have rejected Him. They've rejected the atonement. And it's like they were crucifying Jesus all over again. We're not talking about someone who does this out of weakness or ignorance. This is talking about a person whose heart is hardened by sin and unbelief. It's talking about a person who gets to the point that they, they actually despise the blood of Jesus. Now let me read a passage too in Hebrews chapter 10 and, and in verse 29. Of how much sore punishment. Suppose you shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. Can you imagine that? And hath counted the blood of the covenant, the blood of Christ, an unholy thing. And hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. You see, he's talking about a person here who has abandoned Jesus and whose end is destruction. What a sad thing to contemplate. You see, just because we are saved, that does not mean that we cannot fall from God's grace. And some fall so far away that all human agency and all human efforts are to no avail. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Paul said, Let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Could I ask you a question? 
Why warn about something that cannot happen? It's possible for a Christian to fall. In Galatians 5 and 4, it's possible for them to fall from God's favor, to fall, fall out of favor with God, fall from God's grace. In Acts the 8th chapter, there was a man by the name of Simon who fell under the influence of the preaching of Philip the Evangelist. And Simon, we're told in verse 13 in Acts 8, believed in when he was baptized. You remember Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So I have no reason to question the validity of his conversion to Christ. Because he did what Jesus said one should do to be saved. But Simon saw that when you, the apostles laid their hands on people, that they could impart certain miraculous powers to others. And he tried to buy that gift with money. And he was told, Thy money perish with thee, because I thought the gift of God may be bought with money. And he was told, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart... Well, now what was the thought of his heart? He was thinking you could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. And he was told to repent that his sins might be forgiven. He, this is what he said to Peter. Pray ye for the Lord for me, that, that none of those things which you have spoken come upon me. Here's a man who obeyed the gospel. He believed in Christ. He was baptized, but he yielded to an old weakness. Christians are not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But we can repent of those mistakes and ask God to forgive us. But, but a person who's fallen to the point that it's impossible is that individual who will not repent. That, that individual who, who just has abandoned Christ and abandoned all hope. But you see, Simon was a man with a good heart. And when he was told what he needed to do as a result of having fallen, he did it. The answer to falling is standing in the grace of God. We're saved by His blood. And if we walk in the light as He is in the light, His blood continually is cleansing us of our sins, 1 John 1, 7. And we can stay cleansed and we can stay saved if we walk in the light. Now the question in the beginning was, can a child of God so sin as to fall from grace? Yes, they can. But a child of God can get up, be forgiven, and continue to live the Christian life, and God will save our souls eternally. I want to thank you for watching today. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.